remember it's Klaus okay. Hergesheimer, and let's not forget Klaus Hergesheimer because you know that will be really, really daft. <laughs> okay, right. <clears throat> Three, two, one. Hello and welcome, dear listeners. We are back for another edition of the Odd Job Pod. So uh, make sure you don't get lost while taking your pet rat out for a walk. Uh, Make sure you've also got your pass for G-section and uh, just enjoy manipulating the machines in Vegas because we are heading to a movie which I'm sure there will be a lot of hot takes on and I'm sure there will be a lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings. If you've never listened to us before, I think you'll be in for a treat. If you have, I think you are going to be incredibly excited to hear the opinions of my co-hosts, Graham uh, Sibley and Terry DeFellin. Hello, gentlemen. How are we both? Very good. Thank you, Gary. And uh, yeah, so I can't wait to, to discuss this film. Well, indeed. Um, I hope you've got your passports out for a vacation in Baja as well. So, um, we are, of course, in Diamonds Are Forever, the last of the Connery movies. Uh, You'll notice that we skipped uh, on A Majesty's Secret Service because I think that deserves A, a podcast of its own, and B, um, also, it's not a Connery movie. And we are currently in the Connery movies. So, it is a film that um, I think it is fair to say divides opinion. Uh, when I was researching this film, uh, I saw one of the uh, most common types search terms into Google, uh, which was recommended to me, which is why is Diamonds Are Forever so bad? And then on the other side of things, there is a piece from Zan Brooks, the Guardian film critic, said, describing why he thinks Diamonds Are Forever is the best Bond film ever, or at least his favourite one. Um, Graham, how much did you enjoy this film? We know we know what your feelings have been in the past. Have they been changed to the extent that mine have been changed on Moonraker? Well, I'll say this. I don't like Dimes Are Forever. Give me the choice. I, I, I will choose another film to watch. Um, that said, this is not the worst James Bond film ever. It is. Is it the worst Sean Connery film? Maybe I've reassessed that. Maybe I've put it ahead of... Of Thunderbolt because I really don't like Thunderbolt. Careful now. I know. I know. Careful now. We upset people people with our Thunderbolt podcast. Yeah, but then again, I'm sure we 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 might end up upsetting quite a few people with with our Dimes Are Forever podcast. I I I must admit that I've seen Dimes Are Forever now in a new light in it, it on my most recent rewatch, which was just this week, and. It's not a very flattering light, but it's a new light. And a novelty is always a good thing. And for me, I I I I have I can see where it's coming from now. I can understand it a bit more now. Well mm. understand where it's coming from. I can't and understand the film anymore, because if you look closely at this film, it's it's like it's like a lot of the late um Sean Connery films. It it it, it goes all over the place. But I I I 
I've got willing. I'm willing to bring new ideas to the table tonight. It's not just going to be me bad mouthing this film because it's badly edited. It's it's it, the script is all over the place, and they, they half of the people in it aren't actors. But uh, let's. But we're we're going to talk about this, aren't we, for the next hour or so, aren't we? Wow. Launching in there with a blistering opening few minutes, probably one of the uh, the most blistering opening scenes that we've had on this podcast. Uh, Terry, can you top that for trying to offend our entire audience? Um, well, I mean, I uh, also read some articles uh, uh, on this film as well in kind of preparation, and I was also quite... Um, taken by a piece uh, by licensed to queer on twitter who uh, spoke about his uh, enjoyment of the of the movie and also spoke directly about the portrayal of uh, the gay characters on the film as well which i'm sure we'll discuss uh, uh, shortly and 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 i was and i found that to be a refreshing perspective which i had not experienced before and so and so i i rejoice in the fact that there are people who who like this movie and consider it among their favourites. I mean, sadly, I'm I'm not I don't count myself as one of them. But what I did do is I allowed myself to um, cast aside any preconceptions that I'd had, and and this was quite easy because I worked it out. And I think the last time I probably sat and watched Diamonds Are Forever in full would probably in the 1990s. Because that's how down I've been on this movie. Uh, I well, I came to the conclusion at a very early age that this was not a very good film. I remember distinctly watching it with Graham and Graham and I have a mutual friend called Martin. And when I was a teenager, watching watching this movie for the umpteenth time as a teenager, and then it dawning on us like this is a really badly put together movie. This is not very good. And then just ending up like spending half of it trashing it. Um, and then really only watching it a few times subsequent to that. So I was able then to watch it a few weeks ago. Um, and and I actually allowed myself to just enjoy it. It's got the first half an hour of the film is thoroughly enjoyable. Um, the, the the comedy beats in this movie are superb. Some of there's some it's genuinely funny. The the the, the whole slumber sequence. It's hilarious. Morton slumber. That's because the, the 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 bits between interactions between M and Bond are great. The 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 teeny tiny scene between Money Penny and, and and Bond, fantastic. And it's got some really good comedy beats in in, in it. But sadly, it this is not a movie that doesn't sustain that. Um, and it, and it's a it's a very very lumpy movie that doesn't really know what it wants to be. Um, and and it's it's quite, you know, in some areas, I think it's 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 quite it's quite cheap um, and just like not very well. I mean, like Vegas is a great location, but not in 1971. Um, and, and it's just it, and I mean, I'm sure we can go into these in, in greater depth, but there's also some of the technical issues that they had and just bad decision making in terms of some of the action sequences. Sean Connery looked OK, but um you know, it's interesting because at the time, and I this is this this chimes with something that I remember my parents saying. They said that I think at the time this movie was incredibly popular, and remained for some years afterwards a very popular entry. And I am convinced that the reason for that is is because people were so jarred, contemporary audiences were so jarred by George Lazenby's 
like James Bond, that when they brought Sean Connery back, it didn't matter what kind of movie it was. They were just happy to see Sean Connery back. Mm. Uh, that's, <clears throat> I think that's a very fair take on, on Diamonds of Forever. I enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting to, but I also... And also, I haven't watched Diamonds of Forever in quite a long time as well for slightly similar reasons. But I don't remember disliking it quite as much. I just kind of what I remember was it just being a very uneven film. Um, and I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would do as well. Um, again, with the caveat that it is not the best entry by any means into the Bonds canon or definitely not um, in Sean Connery's. Uh, canon either well obviously later podcasts we'll talk about pierce brosnan's canon um which is a very different canon um stop Ray. saying canon stop stop <laughs> saying canon <laughs> you're doing my head in. at least intersperse it with fanon please <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, graham this is an interesting film in in many regards when you actually look at the team behind it because you have a lot of people who are involved with a lot of different bonds and a lot of very good bonds you have for example guy hamilton director goldfinger probably one of the best bond films of all time you've got tom mankovitz as a screenwriter who again went on to write many many good bond films and yet if you picked up a few of the issues in here you'd probably look at the direction and the screenwriting are two issues that do come to the fore, especially the screenwriting, probably once we get into the final third of the film. Uh, certainly. Um, I think one of the major um, uh, people who is missing in this film is Peter Hunt. And Peter Hunt obviously mm. directed the previous film on the Majesty's Secret Service. He was invited back on it, but he was he was actually considered himself a director. Well, he was he had other commitments and so so couldn't come come back onto it. Um Guy Hamilton was was lined up, I think, by the studio to do this one because they wanted another goldfinger. But Peter Hunt uh, had been involved in the uh, editing of all the films up to this point. And I'm sure he had a very strong hand in the editing of On a Magic Secret Service as well, because that was that was his bag. And this is the first one that doesn't have him in it. And I think he is primarily uh, a, a big miss, because the editing on, on this film is poor. And and you shouldn't notice the editing on a film but you you do certainly notice it on on this one, and and yeah, Terry, you're right. The first hour, first half hour of this film is is brilliant, and the comic beats are brilliant in there. And it's it, but and it's certainly a new direction for Bond. Certainly a very very different direction. It, it is a fresh start. The first five minutes of of the film, though, the cold open is 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 just a bloody horror show, though. It's just, it's just something <laughs> that, that, that. But the thing is. And 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 I I've I've revisited it as well, and I thought, well, is it a horror show? Because it you're looking at this thinking, what well, is this picking up from on a magic secret service? Then yeah, there's that that is that that is. If you look at it as taking on from you only live twice, suddenly it doesn't seem so bad. Suddenly, you know, where he's just escaped from his volcano and Bond's going out and trying to find him, all of a sudden, no, it all makes sense. So you, if you completely ignore that film, then then even even the cold open works, even with Charles Gray being Blofeld, um, 
which yes we will come on to later on in here but yeah i mean it would be great if as you say gary the the when they were were looking at the people who do work so well in this in in the franchise um why couldn't they've gone back and to get get um donald pleasance i'm sure he wasn't that busy <laughs> rather than bringing in charles gray and i love charles gray i think he's brilliant but not in this role uh, I mean, it is a case, Terry, and and let's go into Charles Gray because there, there's many different areas in, but I think this is probably the one area where, as far as I can see, there there is a lot of um, universal consensus on the internet, which is always a dangerous thing, but also an unexpected thing that Charles Gray just doesn't really cut it as a blowfield, and we've seen this time and time again it, with other entries into the canon where you have a fantastic actor potentially you know julian glover and jonathan price spring to mind but they're just not cast in the right role and it the villainry just doesn't really work at all and given that you've got charles gray who as as graham said is a fantastic actor but he's following donald pleasance and telly savalas into what is now becoming an iconic role um is it fair to say that this is potentially one of the film's biggest problems um i suppose yeah i mean it's not consistent casting with the previous portrayals of the previous two portrayals of the blowfelt character the blowfelt character is not played too much for laughs and there is there's um an edge to the way donald pleasance and 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 Teddy Savalas that is that is that you could infer some humour, but there's no there's no sort of like snappy one-liners necessarily. No humour. It's not. Is is there's no pithiness when it comes to Blofeld, uh, played by 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 Pleasance or by or by Savalas, and so it's quite jarring. And I mean, again, I would suggest to contemporary audiences, I don't think that they cared because, you know. They probably only saw the film maybe one more time, any of these movies, maybe one more time afterwards, back in the 1960s and the 70s, probably not even that. They probably would have seen the movie once at the cinema when it came out. And so the that, that sense of continuity that you get when you're watching the Bond movies, you know, as a whole, you know, as a canon, um, it, it is, is not something that works, that, that is effective on, on contemporary audiences. And of course, these are what these movies are made for. They're not really necessary. Even then, I don't think that they're making them thinking that there's going to be a considerable legacy to these movies and they're going to be discussed at length by men on the internet um, because they wouldn't even know what the internet was. Um, so I don't. I mean, I don't think you can. I mean, I think that there's an honesty about the way that these movies are made that you 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 don't you you can't um, you know you 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 can't take issue with. Um, and in that spirit, I thoroughly enjoyed Charles Gray's Blofeld. Um, but I mean, were I as I have done in the past to look at Diamonds Are Forever as a sequel to Honor Majesty's Secret Service, then it's an abomination. It's an, uh, it's 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 a tra- it's a travesty. It's a huge injustice. This is partly personal because um, my favourite movie is on a Majesty's Secret Service, but it's also partly objective. Ob- objective because it's an inferior movie. I mean, you know, the, it, it, go if you were to were to watch on a Majesty's Secret Service, take your DVD out and plug in a DVD or indeed Blu-ray or a streaming, you know, if you want, whatever. Um, of, of Diamonds Are Forever and then watch that film directly afterwards, you'd be horrified 
just the decline in quality. As Graham says, the cold open is an utter shit show. It's a, it's really, really poor. Um, even, I mean, just oh, anyway, the, the, the conception of it is poor. I mean, the mud pies thing is like, it's just unconvincing, you know, humorous deaths and humorous ways of avenging the death of your wife and stuff like that. But when you consider that the movie wasn't made like that, it wasn't intended to be made like that, then I think you can allow yourself to apply a different filter on it and enjoy it an awful lot more as a consequence, as I did. Mm, it's I, The unevenness, Graham, just shows all the way throughout the film, not just with, with Blofeld, but as you, you've kind of touched on as well, we start off with actually ignoring the... the the first uh, the opening which uh, i think everybody's agreed is is a little bit ropey at best um but you go into actually what is quite a taut interesting spy movie which is an interesting concept because it takes bond out of saving the world and into what is um, in his mind something that's a bit beneath him which is just investigating a bit of diamond smuggling and that the opening is interesting. And then you have the second half of the film, which just goes all over the place and moves firmly from spy into um, fairly excessive caper. But yeah, I mean, that you've got the unevenness between the Blofelds and then you've also got the unevenness between the two different parts of the film. It is a game, a film of two halves. <laughs> Yes, it is. I, I know we, we we brought this up before, where, where where Bond loses its way a bit, um, and unfortunately, it's another uh, Mankiewicz um, script where is the most guilty one of that, and that's uh, Man with the Golden Gun. Um, and and I think it's it's interesting for me because I, I looked at this film and I thought you could see all the problems that were coming up in Man with the Golden Gun in Dimes Are Forever. And the thing is about about Mankiewicz is he's got some excellent dialogue. Some of the dialogue in this film, and and Terry's right, the comic beats him here, and it helps when you've got comic actors, genuine comic actors, who uh, who, who can really deliver lines like that really well. Especially when you've uh, one of uh, Mankiewicz's um, uh, devices that he uses quite a lot is other characters finishing off. Uh, uh, the lines so he will start a line someone will start a line you know right idea mr bond yes but wrong pussy um or um if at first you don't succeed you know try 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 again it's it's those sort of things that's that, that's a mankovitz thing that that he's introduced here and uh, which is great when you're when you've got the sort of comic actors that can do it and and this is full of comic actors they're they're, they're really on top of their game here um but there is something about the the fact that, that it is disjointed, that it is different, but that's because they've changed direction and they are they this is shaping up what Bond's gonna be for the next 20 years in 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 this film. And it is a reaction, it's a reaction to what's going on around them. You'll look at the big films that are out at the time. Um, you know, when 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 Doctor No came out, Westerns were like high noon or magnificent seven for instance which which did have humor in it but you get to the end of the 60s and they're making films like butch cassidy and the sundance kid which are far more irreverent and of course you, you you've got this whole change of mood in society you know the 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 vietnam war the backlash of that everyone is a bit 
against the man. So you've, you, if you're going to make a Bond film, you've got to make it for laughs. You've got to change it up a bit. You can't just be, you know, scaring people about Reds Under the Bed anymore. You've got to be... You, you, it's got to be a wider uh, perspective on, on, on the film. And I think Mankiewicz does that really well. Um, but you can tell they're not used to it yet. This isn't. This isn't. And, and I don't think it's 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 Connery's uh, fault. My, one of my uh, one of the, my ideas that has changed most on, on on rewatching it recently is the fact that Connery's phoning it in. But Terry's right. That that scene in the uh, in the in the um, the the funeral parlor when 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 that interaction he has with with Morton Slumber is just brilliant. The, the it's bit, hilarious. The bit where they say "Amen." The the timing on that is just superb. It is. It the, is the, when the yeah when they're sitting in his office. Yeah. Just the the, the absolutely the incredibly awkward toe curling silence between Slumber and <laughs> but when they're sitting in the office when you know and 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 no one knows what to say and like Slumber is like clearly you know oozing horrific insincerity yeah. and and it's just it's it's beautifully tight and actually it must be said it's it, it's beautifully shot and well filmed as well oh no uh, mean, hamilton's done, done really well there on that bit and but it does i i well i watched that that, that scene and i thought that's a that's a fantastic scene that 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 is that is that stands up there with anything in any other film and then you think yeah, but there's so much shit to come, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. I've also I enjoyed the 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 sequence between M and 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 Connery as well because particularly the apart from they're a girl's best friend, I don't know much about diamonds. Yeah. And M makes it a remark about it's nice to see you're not an expert in something. And then they cut to Connery and he just flicks his eye back and there's this little grin and he flicks his eyes quite affectionately over to to M as if he he, he knows he's He's done him, and it's it's beautiful. I mean, it, it, and it's it's a lovely character moment because obviously you remember that Connery's been away for a movie and he's come back, and there's that warmth between the two characters. And I like the fact that Emmy's generally speaking exasperated with Bond throughout the entirety of that scene, but but it also betrays the disappointment of the movie because the, there's the line when Bond says, oh, "I always wanted to go to South Africa." <laughs> and then says you're going to Holland, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's about right. <laughs> and indeed, that's what happens to the movie. <laughs> it doesn't go to South Africa; yes. it goes to Holland. <laughs> we it brings back a tulip rather than a diamond. I think <laughs> it's fair to say, and that's a beautiful scene as well. Yes, it's got to be said, an absolutely beautiful scene. Yeah, there's. I I was the same that I didn't dislike Connery's performance in this at all. I actually think there's something interesting going on because he's this. You can definitely see that he's aged uh, a fair bit, even between uh, from You Only Live Twice into Diamonds Are Forever. But there is still just that charisma that he brings even if there's probably some sequences he's looking at the same as we did going what the hell am i doing in here just forget it sean look at your paycheck just keep on moving but there are other ones where there is genuinely uh, whether it's a kind of spark in there or those little conneryisms that i think other bonds couldn't necessarily pull off in quite the same way. I think you could probably put most of the other bonds into here, with the probably exception of, of Craig, 
and you'd have maybe not Dalton, but you'd have like a, an interesting movie and one that would work. It's not one that is owned by any one particular bond, but equally there are some good sequences. The one that I quite like is just that, well, there's two that I like one, which is the very um, small bit where bond is trapped in the tunnel and wakes up and goes, oh, I'm sorry, one of us smells like a tart's bedroom and that's me. And then suddenly sees a danger in there. And that's just, but you're obviously in a very tight area and Bond, that's what Connery does well when the camera is on him. He knows how to play up to it. And then just popping out the uh, the uh, workers tunnel and just going, I'm sorry, I was taking my pet rat for a walk and I appear to have got lost. It's just a, it's a line that I think Connery delivers brilliantly. And I really like that. The other sequence that I quite like is the first time you go, you meet uh, Tiffany Case. And again, there's a lot of unevenness with with her character. But that bit where Bond walks up into into her room, she's getting changed. You've got that interplay between them. That, for me, is one where you kind of feel, oh, this could be a really good movie because there's a there's certainly a little bit of something in here. And then it it goes a bit off piste as well. Um, Graham, I don't know if you have any other kind of favorites or you violently disagree with myself and Terry in terms of uh, our little nuggets that we're picking out of the film. Well, I I think it's a lot of those little nuggets, I I think, uh, uh, are are sometimes things where they've they've taken something from the book. And uh, now the, the the book Diamonds Are Forever was the earliest book that had been made into a film when it came out. Now remember we're seven films into it now. Um but the uh, it was the fourth novel that was written and the ones written before it were Casino Royale, Live and Let Die and Moonraker. When you when you say that that it was like a bit of a low rent operation for 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 Bond to go on, I thought actually no, this is actually proper Fleming because like Fleming's stories were him going to find like a rare fish or something like that. That's the sort of missions he'd give Bond. It wasn't all about about like people taking over the world. And so yeah, going after a, a diamond smuggler, yeah yeah, that, that's that's totally what 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 the sort of uh, mission that that. That that Fleming's M would, would would have sent sent him on, so it it, is, it does seem weird that the that even though this deviates quite a long way away from 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 the book, that there are lots of things in there that it it's it reference back to something that happened in the book, even the mud pie scene, even the the the, the bit when they're in the in the when Blofeld's double is in the bed uh, in the mud bath. And that's that's the scene where where Bond has a mud bath in there. It's a very very just one paragraph I think in there, and um, there's uh, like the scorpion bit as well. I think that's the opening opening paragraphs in there. Is is the the, the scorpion? And so when mm. they use that to kill someone, that's something else that they, they that they bring in. It's all these little tiny things. And I think in the book uh, Tiffany was blonde. And I think that is something that 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 Mankiewicz has just put in there, and just to just to put a line and say, oh, "Weren't you a blonde when I when when I came in?" And I think that's the sort of thing. Sometimes you can put too many of these things, there. and the, the fact that she was blonde in there is completely pointless. It's like it's like, even though it does lend you into to to or pull you into this this whole thing of of not being able to 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 trust Tiffany and which is which is 
which which sets up the character really well. <laughs> uh, it's it's only when she changes side that 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 she becomes completely one dimensional. Yeah, well, let's carry on with with Tiffany because Terry, um, this is definitely one character which I I got the sense again from my research and reading other people's opinions as well that does divide people and as graham has has said it's an uneven portrayal all the way through sometimes when partly i think because of the script but i I actually enjoyed jill st john's performance with with sort of a few caveats um i don't think she's that bad and i think there's a there is occasionally some nice bits of of chemistry in there um, between her and Connor. There's a great little scene between her and Q. I genuinely love that little interaction that she's got in the Vegas casino. Um, I certainly have less of an issue with with Tiffany Case than I do with Blofeld in this film. Um, I don't know about how you feel. Uh, I thought that uh, I, I like Tiffany Case and I think Jill St. John's brilliant. I mean, I... I uh, by, I can't make any specific comments about the technicalities of her uh, 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 her, her acting. I mean, there have probably been better Bond Bond actresses, but but I mean, I think that she she fit the profile of the character extremely well. I, I agree that she lost a degree of agency as the as as the film went on, and she became quite useless towards the end of it. You could make the uh, just the argument that you know as the as the environment became more absurd and she became more out of her depth and it became apparent that she became a lot more useless as this became far more of Bond's world and far less of her world. Uh, and those early exchanges, particularly in um, in in in, uh, in Amsterdam and, and, and as the movie went on, she sort of like the, the real moment was when she found um, her, her plenty of tool in, 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 her, in her pool and then the, 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 the realisation that she was actually, you know, to pardon the pun, out of her depth um she gets subject to some um some misogynistic violence as well from 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 bond which is not pleasant uh, and and then and then yeah i mean i think that at that point that the character sort of like you know goes into some kind of decline but actually i think narratively you can justify that uh, i thought she was feisty i thought she had some decent lines she's absolutely beautiful uh, and incredibly sexy and their clothes there the outfits they put on her were absolutely amazing uh, and, and I and, and I don't really see what the issue with Jill St. John or indeed Tiffany Case is at all, to be honest with you. No, I mean, I'm I would I'd, I'd echo those uh, that sentiment completely. But I think Jill St. John is perfect for Dimes Are Forever. If you're going to go with mm. Dimes Are Forever being light touch, change of pace, comedic, it, it she is perfect. She's a comic actress. Uh, that, that that was that was. That that was her career. Then she she knew she was getting comic roles, and she was doing them very very well. Um, so I, I yeah I mean she she she's perfect for for this role. I mean you, I, it's difficult for me to think of anyone else in this role. It's it it, it mm. um, but of course Tiffany is Tiffany Case in the books is basically a prototype for Pussy Galore. She 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 comes before Pussy Galore in in the books. She comes after her in 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 the films. So uh, to compare Jolson John's performance with with uh, on the Blackman's performance, you know, you, it, they're like ap- apples and oranges. You can't compare the two because they're very very different films. 
but in the in the books they're very 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 similar characters so i th- i could imagine if you came from the books and thinking this isn't tiffany case what the hell is this what 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 what's going on here but also also as well if you came from the films and you thought well you know you're not you're, you're not on a blackman are you you're not you're not pussy galore there are better ones here which i suppose is what happens once you're seven films in you, you you're going to start looking back and comparing but diamonds are forever is not a bad film because of her there is i mean i i would you'd really have to to make a very 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 strong case for that i think she's brilliant in this for what for what she does I, I, there's many bits that I enjoy. And I think, um, we've talked about the comic beats as well. And actually even, um, and it's probably worked best when there is that, that level of slight comedy in there, when she, she is playing along and everybody knows she's playing along, such as the, uh, the scene where Felix Leiter encounters her in the bridal suite. And she goes, I'm cooperating. Really, I am. And it's, there's just some lovely little bits of interplay and, and, yeah, I'm. I would agree that as the the film gets on, I mean, I think you can definitely make a case for the fact that she just becomes a little bit more wide eyed and really quite unsure what to do. And I wonder as well if that's just the writers they built up this this character and then have gone, ah, she doesn't really fit into where we've just ended her up, um, which is a bit of a shame. And yeah, I would, as with most of Diamonds Are Forever you kind of wish there was a slightly different and better script and a better way of doing things that would probably have ended the film in a slightly different way that people might go back and go, well, you know, actually she was really up there with, with a fantastically good set of Bond girls because she had a great piece of material to work with because when she's given the right material, Graham, as you say, it really shines on screen. But um, Terry... I was also going to say there is one person I feel very sorry for within this film, and that is Ken Adam. He's gone from volcano to an oil. Yeah, I, I would just just very quickly um, on on if I may just come back on Tiffany Case. I, I think the it, it, the way that she built the character up. I think no one would have been disappointed if she'd actually handled like the 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 whole machine gun thing and she'd been out there and she'd been a machine gun toting bikini clad babe at the end of the movie, you know, like 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 like, you know, really, really getting stuck in. I mean, that would have been consistent, I think. Um, and it is disappointing that she didn't she wasn't sufficiently empowered. That's the only thing that I would say. Uh, yeah, I mean. From a production, I mean, the, this is other. This is the thing about the the movie is is that it's it's that they've made some location choices that I don't think are entirely in, really inspired. I mean, I mean, Las Vegas is a wonderful place, but not in 1971. Um, I mean, you just looked at some of those longer, wider shots of Vegas, and it's just like empty, or it's a building site. It's not. It's a. It's a resort that's still very much going through a trans transition, and of course, I mean, it's always bastard hot there, right? It's the in the middle of the Nevada desert. You've got 1971 air conditioning, and and the movie just looks grubby. It looks sweaty during this time because because I imagine that they're all probably sweating their bollocks off out well, there making yeah. this movie. That uh, that and they're and they're and they're in the casinos till four o'clock in the morning as well. So which they were for six weeks. 
Yes, and I mean this is something that perhaps does does maybe take into maybe maybe take issue with the professionalism of the cast and the actors. <laughs> yes, it's well known that Sean enjoyed um, the bright lights of Vegas um, while he was there and took advantage of its hospitality, <laughs> shall, shall we say, uh, and the hospitality of, uh, of and and the fr- and the friendship of some of some of his co-stars, um, <laughs> one in particular. Um, so, but 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 I mean. So yeah, and I think that that's. I mean, is it this that that's where it's it's not entirely convincing. It's quite interesting scenes because, particularly if you're like me and you and you love Las Vegas, it is interesting to see, you know, the city at in that time period. But as a spectacle, I'm not I'm not entirely certain it it completely holds up. That said, the 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 abseiling sequences, you know outside the White House are, 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 are decent and in, and in, and in that whole sequence is is, is pretty decent. And we, and we know all about the car chase, of course, which has its moments. The car chase happens over the space of one, well, two blocks of Fremont Street um, between the Las Vegas Club and the Golden Nugget. And they just basically run up and down there for five minutes. It's 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 in a very 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 small. Even for nineteen seventy one Vegas, it was a very small part of town that they shut down. Um, but the uh, the exterior shots of the White House was part, half uh, an actual hotel, the International, which was uh, where Elvis had residency. Uh, Terry and I, you uh, went to um, the International as well uh, when we went in the early 2000s when the Star Trek exhibition was there. That was The Hilton. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the Hilton yeah, yeah. then. It was the, it's yeah. the International back there. Uh, but the one you see in, on the screen is actually half of the hotel. The tower behind it is a map painting by uh, one of one of our heroes, Albert Whitlock. Um, Albert Whitlock, the, uh, the yes. hero of map paintings, and uh, and he creates this yes, tower behind behind the the um, the international or the hill. If you if you listen to our uh, Starship podcast, you you'll know we've 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 spoken frequently on Albert Whitlock's map painting because he did a lot for the original series of Star Trek, and uh, he's a bit of a legend. Um, and it's that's that's a nice crossover. Yeah, very that's happy a with lovely, that. lovely crossover. This is the only uh, Bond film. He he actually did seventy map paintings for the film Earthquake. Uh, he was he uh, he was a prodigious worker. He was and yeah. and um, but also as well the 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 bits where he's doing the abseiling um, outside that was a hotel called the Landmark Hotel, and the Landmark Hotel is is famous in film anyway because it, it when they when they blew it up or well, when they imploded it as they call it, uh, yeah, they used the footage of it in Mars Attacks. And it's one of the the the, the scenes where where the where the Martians are, are attacking Vegas. Remember, it ain't unusual. And um, yes, that's the when they split the, uh, the the landmark hotel splits in half, and that's that's that one. So yeah, but uh, interesting what you're saying about about Ken Adam because because obviously he designed uh, Willard White's office, and that is stunningly beautiful, and that is yeah. totally Ken Adam, and it's brilliant. But the house, Willard White's summer house. 
looks like it's Ken Adam, but isn't. I mean, uh, I, I remember see, seeing a, a documentary and, and Ken Adam just espousing over this house. Saying, I love that house. I want the house. It is, it is perfect. And, then, and you can see why, because it looks like he made it. But it, it was, it was, it was, a, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the architect now. It was one of the students of Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah, I think it's in Palm Springs. Ken, Ken Adam, of course, was designing the, the, sorry to go back to it, but going back, the, the slumbers, um, yes. chapel as well yeah which again again just like and just exudes that kind of like the insincerity of 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 the entire location i mean it's it's it it, it works really really well and you can't you shouldn't these cannot these cannot be ignored this is bond gold this mm. stuff absolute bond gold it's just that obviously yes it it tends to nestle into what is what what is in many ways a very disappointing film but yeah Terry, just on on the subject as well, because you've you've obviously talked a lot about um, Las Vegas and it not quite being the right location um, in in 1971 for for really for Bond. And there is that kind of cheapness and seediness and everything else. Do you think that also potentially hinders the Blofeld as well? Because we've gone from a character who has essentially commandeered a volcano off Japan to one who's now hiding out... um, by himself up in the penthouse of a rather a potentially seedy Las Vegas hotel. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I again, I, I mean, I think that we have to look at this movie as as an as part of a, an anthology series with no continuity, and I think that we, we 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 deny ourselves the opportunity to enjoy this film if we compare it to previous movies. Yeah, yeah. I think that this is the biggest mistake that any Bond fan, modern Bond fan, could make with Diamonds Are Forever, is that this is a movie that must be enjoyed in isolation as, as, as part of an anthology. Um, that said, <laughs> it is... <laughs> It is it is a bit of a, it is a bit low rent by comparison to yeah as you say a underground complex it's a bit low rent by comparison to Pete's Gloria um, so uh, yeah I mean I I I definitely go with that but again this is because they made a location choice they said we're going to go to Las Vegas maybe maybe the the state of Nevada offered a generous concession well to, well there to, was to, there was there was a very good reason why they 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 went to Las Vegas and that's because Cubby Broccoli. Um, was very good friends with Howard Hughes, and there you go. And, and Howard Hughes, uh, I think, is is credited with giving um, uh, Kobe Broccoli his, his breaking movies. So uh, there is that, and I think Howard Hughes locked down loads of Vegas for them to to do with car chases and such, and and also as well, he allowed them to use all his all his casinos. So. And need to base base one of the characters on him as well. Well, exactly, and uh, and and uh, Jimmy Dean was actually working for uh, for um, he had a, he had a residency in, in one of Howard Hughes' hotels, so uh, he was he was quite um, quite worried about the role about when when he was playing him because obviously they're both Texans and they're both sort of quite larger than life characters, um, but uh, yeah, so so. And I, I, it's very difficult to sort of think about what how Howard Hughes was perceived back in that time because yet yeah, he was running a global operation from his penthouse, and and the, apparently the part of the whole story of 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 Dimes Are Forever one of the one of the real sort of um, real drivers of the story was a dream that that Cubby Broccoli had. He was outside. Um, 
Howard Hughes's penthouse, uh, looking through the window, and and Howard Hughes headed back to to the window, and he was calling through the window, Sam, Sam, which was what his close friends called him. And when he turned around, it was a stranger standing there, and that's basically what the what the, what the film is, is is. It's based on on a, on a dream that Cubby Broccoli had. <laughs> so, um, it is a lovely story, and yeah, yeah, it's a lovely no, story, no. isn't it? There's no reason to assume why it's not true. The mo- the movie is re- is perhaps it, it, it's not a movie that I'm too familiar with, but the original Ocean's Eleven is basically the Rat Pack just decide to go to go to Vegas, get fucked up, and make a movie. And there's there's a, maybe yeah. there's a there's a yeah. little bit of that going on there. It's actually a jolly in some respects, an opportunity for a jolly. But also, I think that the idea is that they they they've got to bounce back after the disappointment of Unimagined Secret Service and and they've also probably got to just maybe just be a little bit more austere in their approach um and 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 it shows on the screen I think um and then but at the same time cashing in and obviously they paid Sean Connery's charity a very large sum of money for him to come back and a lot of the budget would obviously then have gone into to there, and that's great because Sean Connery, as I said, it was a it was a charity gig for him, um, and and that's wonderful. But he, it is it is perhaps that there's some budget that's that's would otherwise be on the screen for for a Bond movie that that that, that wasn't on this occasion, um, and yeah, yes. the movie just is seems to be at places quite austere in in, in tone. And maybe this is a like a seventies thing as well, I suppose, because we are at this point moving into the somewhat the sort of sixties backlash, and the seventies is sort of a little bit austere, isn't it? It's said. It is said. I can imagine that conversation in pre-production. Ken Adam walks in. He's got <laughs> guys. I'm thinking of underwater lair for this one. Ken, there's no budget for an underwater lair. You've got an oil rig. No, but but really, no, Ken, you've got an oil rig. Yeah, but I mean, Ken really can't have any complaints because he got his volcano to get two um, two films ago, and he got to spend one million dollars on it. One million dollars. Yeah, I mean that's his that's his that's his legacy. That's his funny. And um, the, the uh, architect uh, is uh, uh, of um, Elrod House is um, uh, John Lautner. Designed in 1969, so it well, hadn't been around for a long. And it is it's 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 a thing of beauty. And if you uh, if you like, particularly if you like modernist architecture, and if you like you like you like a bit of brutalism, it's a splendid structure. It's got to be said. Well, let's stay in that house and touch on some of the the elements that I think are possibly most problematic. Um, and one of them, which comes up quite frequently, Graham, is Bambi and Thumper. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, what do you want to know about? Take <laughs> it away, I mean, Graham. Should we just say that the the, hen- the hench people within this film? Um, and, and, and Terry's obviously mentioned uh, the the alternative take from License to Queer on on um, on Winton Kid, which was a really interesting one. But it's certainly, uh, I suspect, if you are a, a modern audience coming into Diamonds Are Forever, these characters are the ones that might well jar with you more than anything else in this yeah. film. I think in the seventies, I, I, I I'm going to be quite general about this, but I. I think in the seventies there was a, a sort of movement of putting non-actors in films. 
and seeing where it went and using it and 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 using the energy that that they would that they would bring to the part and the department of hench in in um diamonds are forever is full of non-actors the only actor who is who is there is um is bruce glover bruce glover is 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 i think uh, out of, you know, winton kid and 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 uh, bambi and thumper bruce glover is the only actor out of the four of them uh, and it showed. I mean, he's the one doing a lot of the heavy lifting there with with um, in 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 the Winton Kid uh, sequences. Um, Putter Smith, fabulous bassist, uh, bassist for uh, for Thelonious Monk. Um, he's on some of the most iconic uh, music you'll ever hear. Uh, and and but an actor, he he's not an actor. He has no pretensions of being an actor. He de- he de- he looks like he has no desire to be an actor. I mean, he does his his role fine, and the the reason why he was cast was because he looked awkward, and they were going to put him with another musician as well. Then Guy Hamilton wanted to have two two, two non actors there doing this, but they they ended up with with Bruce with Bruce Glover. They didn't want Bruce Glover because he looked too normal. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I know exactly. Um, I, I I love Bruce Glover in this. Actually, I think he does really well in this, and and it's very interesting for me because um, his son, um, who we all know as George McFly in Back to the Future, um, played a very similar uh, assassin in um, the Charlie's Angels reboot in the in the, in the late nineties. Uh, he was the Thin Man. Um, so uh, that's that's the that's another little, little time throwback there, but I, Wint and Kid are. I love the fact they have their own theme. I thought John Barry just, just just gave them their own little bit bit of music. Um, this whole I, I I've read that article as well, uh, Terry, because you sent it around, and there is a lot of stuff out there of about why Dimes Are Forever is a good film, and a lot of it is is having a contrary view about about the film because a, a lot of film a lot of people over the last 20 years as the stock of of honor Majesty's secret service has gone up diamonds are forever has has had to be the one mm. to that that has that has dipped down in the other direction there you, there has to be balance in the, in 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 the bond universe and this is where it comes from and and so the stock of this film has plummeted and so some people are going to look at it and some people are, are going to for much for the same reasons that, that, that Terry and I inexplicably love You Only Live Twice, even though for all objective purposes this is not great film. It, it, some people will, will stick, will this is their hill, this is their Bond hill, this is the, and, and they will protect it. But let, make no mistake, Winton Kidd are not gay characters with agency. They are just 70s comedy quiz. That's what they are. You can see them in any film around this time they are they are usually working as tailors rather than assassins so they're taking inside leg measurements that's what they're they're, they're doing and you you, and they're not really that that much advanced from those those characters um but they do bring something to the film and they are a comedic beat and they and all the time the film is a comedy they work perfectly um Mankiewicz has this habit of bringing back the um, the side the the henchman for no apparent reason in the final reel. Um, 
rather than them pissing off with their money and just like lying low, they 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 go after Bond. Um, he, he does the same in Live and Let Die, and he does the same in Man with the Golden Gun. It was like, you know, there's no reason for Knickknack to go after Bond. Knickknack can just piss off, just just take take whatever he can steal from from the lair and just disappear. You don't have to go after Bond again. And and this is what they do. Why why are they following you onto the boat? Okay, look, let's not question it. It's Bond. Let's not question the holes like that. It just makes a good scene. But of course, there is, it does, of course, allow that that awful scene where where Bruce Glover goes the. When he gets his hand pulled between his thighs, but I mean, I I, uh, I I'm rejoicing anyone who l- looks at those characters and 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 uh, particularly if you're gay, if you're queer, and you can look at those characters and say, well, look, they're poorly represented, but they are. There is some representation in an era where you didn't get much and get something from that. And I, and 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 the guy who wrote that, I think he wrote it. He was at a an, a, an age uh, his childhood where it, where it was important to him, and I am not about to trash no, those those emotions whatsoever. Yeah. Fair play to him. But the reality of the situation is is that yeah, they were they they weren't they didn't have any agency. You're quite right, Graham. And and you know one of them was sodomized to death, and the other one was burned alive. And and I mean and I mean and in and with in the in the in the context of them being gay men. Uh, the, I mean, what was it? I can't remember the name of the of the the gay publication at the at the, the, the at the time that just when they posted their review, but they just used the term. They used the uh, the the headline "burn faggot burn," and it and it, it's it's it, it. I can really yeah. fully understand why that people just do not get on with that at all. Uh, and I'm afraid I have to say that I'm a, I, objectively I'm on I'm on board with 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 that view. I, I think I, I think it's it's disappointing. Uh, it's not altogether surprising because it was oh, 1971. Yeah. Um, and, 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 but, but, uh, but it, it does, it does check me out of the movie quite a lot. And, and, but that said, you know, there's plenty of instances in that film where I enjoy their contribution to the film. Um, and yeah, and, and I would not want at the same time to denigrate Bruce Glover's performance as Graham's quite right to point out that he's excellent. And yeah, given how much heavy lifting um, that he has to do. And I think that Putter Smith makes a really nice foil for him, even though he's, he's just not doing any acting at all. He's not even <laughs> actoring, let alone actually acting. I, yeah. Um, I, I think <laughs> when you get to Bambi and Thumper, they, right, they have a very, very, very small bit in the film. Uh, and neither of them are actors. Uh, all right. Trina Parks is, is she, at least she's in the business. She's a, she's a dancer, choreographer. Um, and, but they are there to look amazing and to do amazing things. And, and they, they do with their 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 gymnastics. They have a bit of a fight, and which ends disappointingly with Bond just just taking them in the pool and getting the better of them. Yeah, it's that's yeah, rubbish. It's rubbish, isn't it? I mean, it's great up until the time they get into the pool. Basically, there is a, mm. a fantastic outtake though when um, when Lola Larson has got uh, her thighs jammed around uh, Sean Connery's head. And and in the in the film, like he's struggling because he's like obviously he's been he's he's caught in a grip, and the, the it's not even an outtake. I think it's just it just where the camera keeps rolling afterwards, and she opens up her legs and like he he's released, and he's got this ridiculous grin on his face. <laughs> it's, it's <awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's in in many ways, it is the best <laughs> job in the world, isn't it? That's just that's just wonderful. Yeah, I, I think it's it's fair to say that this isn't necessarily connery phoning it in it's connery enjoying himself a little bit too much through some of the the movie potentially one other thing that i kind of want to touch on before we we wrap up because um terry this film did get an oscar nomination and it got an oscar nomination for sound and we talked about the little the fact that winton kid have their own thing and actually yeah, I mean, it's not going to um, change anybody's view of it, but I think I can fully see why it got that nomination. Editing, no, was never going to be anywhere near that. But sound, I quite like it from the theme tune, which is very uh, iconic now. Certainly, um, I think the theme tune has lasted better than the movie. Uh, and there's been many good covers and samples of it as well. Um, and there is a nice John, John Barry, at least you feel um He's not gone down. The, he's not been denied his budget necessarily in the way that Ken Adam was uh, was denied his. No, because by now, John Barry is like, you know, he's arrived as a senior A-list film score composer and probably comes with a, you know, with a sizable check and, and, and is able to command larger budgets. This is... um. Anyone who's read the Wikipedia article will know this, but this is probably the, this is actually the first instance where we have the full orchestral version of the James Bond theme. Um, the irony of, of 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 spending all the money on 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 doing an orchestral version of a, a James Bond theme and using it <laughs> for shooting a a, a, a hovercraft, <laughs> leaving the English going on in the channel, is not not lost on me at, at all. It's an unremittingly cheap way to travel. I suppose it was quite a novel and maybe the good people of C-Link dropped a couple of quid <laughs> on the way to, 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 to get it in. I, I don't I don't know. But um um yeah, I mean it's also interesting because there's uh there's there's a couple of years earlier he did a soundtrack for Midnight Cowboy and I have a feeling he might have won something for that too. And there's a track from there called Space Flight, something like that which is very similar to the uh, track that he uses in the Imzaf River for the satellite. I do hope we get the chance to talk about the the, the satellite and the, the whole thing there. I know before before we move on. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, as Graham points out, Winton Kid get their own um, score. Uh, in general, this is a beautiful soundtrack to listen to it's a beautiful score it's a beautiful soundtrack to listen to and it, and it and it really does help to lift lift the movie um you could maybe think it's a little bit lazy because he borrows a bit from 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 uh midnight cowboy and then in turn also borrowing from um captured in space from going live twice but you know i mean like nah not having that it, it's it's all really good in terms of the sound effects, of course, that does remind me of the extremely dubious, shamefully enjoyable. Um, what is the name of the uh, of the, the 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 woman who, who who turns into a gorilla? Oh, the in, yeah, in, in the, the no. that I mean I mean we 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 
the, the fact that they have yes. a black woman and then they transform her into an enormous gorilla is just like uh, that's pretty awful. But but there's some lovely sound effects going on in that sequence as well. That kind of and can we just tip our hat to whoever the guy who played the mad scientist in that because he's absolutely bang on. He's and you can you get all these credulous looking children looking at it just like completely sucked in. And uh, and it's it's in, in, in it, it's a wonderful scene while at the same time being a ghastly horrific scene as well. But but it is I suppose uh, of its time. Mm, it's uh, the, I think you've almost kind of summed up what where Diamonds Are Forever kind of is in that in that there is yeah some that's where it horrific intersects, stuff. Is it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah horrific it's... but brilliant in equal measure um, at times. And, and Graham. I think it's it's fair because Terry mentioned um, the diamonds and the satellite. Um, I mean, this as Bond films go, Bond films generally have a fair bit of MacGuffin, but this one is <laughs> is quite high on the MacGuffin yeah, scale. Yeah, totally. Um, well, this at least this one was the first um, laser in space one. Uh, this uh, there are four, I think four. Um, um, Dangerous satellites in space. I mean, basically, Die Another Day is a remake of Diamonds Are Forever. No wonder it's so terrible. Because um, it's they use the same <laughs> weapon, don't they? It's, it's it's the it's the the diamond focused um, laser shooting stuff down. It's uh, bringing death from from, from above. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, we all love a MacGuffin, don't we? But um, yeah, the diamonds are are are. Are yeah they're, well they're in the title so they've got to be all the way through haven't they yeah that <laughs> but at least at least this this time this this is one thing where it, it is first to this one it is first to, to to like to have this this dangerous weapon in space which you know Brosnan made two dangerous weapons in space films it was uh, so you know it, that. That was the only direction that, that he was going in, considering that the other, the other two films are pretty ropey as well. So that's uh, yeah, he, his best one and his worst one were were uh, were were going pretty much on the same on the same uh, plot line. It's kind of a shame for Pierce that uh, that his crew around him decided that Diamonds Are Forever are the perfect film state for inspiration for his <laughs> his uh, range of films, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's true, isn't it, Terry? I mean, look, you got, look, look, I mean, look, what you said about about um, uh, Jonathan Price, there, isn't it? In, in there, he's very much in the same the same role as. Uh, and uh, that's that's another thing I I think is it if they hadn't called Charles Gray's character Blofeld, would this have been a better film? Would we have treat Would we have treated this more kindly? Yeah, it's possible. I don't again at a time. I don't think so, but because he's better than Stromberg, isn't he? I mean, Charles Gray is brilliant, and he's yeah. a br- and he is he is objectively. I think he's a brilliant vision. He just brilliant. He plays it for laughs. I love the I love the cross dressing. I love the I love the the the, the one liners, particularly at the end in those sequences. In the he's the best part of the of the final sequence at the oil rig. I mean, that oil rig is just so low rent. I mean, this is tiny room where you just sat well, there with escape vehicle is low rent, isn't it? <laughs> 
and he's like he's probably walking around there saying well this is all ending rather disappointingly so i might as well just like add some bonhomie to the whole thing and mankiewicz gives him <laughs> some really really good lines his death is entirely an unbefitting blowfeld but i think you're right graham i think if you were to swip, switch him over um and and just make him sort of like generic bond bond villain number 375 then 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 maybe for bond fans then we we'd, we'd find it a lot more palatable but there's tons to enjoy about Charles Gray's uh, performance as, as as Blofeld, I, you know, and 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 you know, and and the Charles Gray as well. It's just yeah, it's just it's difficult when putting it up against other Blofelds. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me as well, I think, uh, and I know um, you said Terry, don't concentrate on it too much and take it in its own regard. But I think I think Graham's right because. All the way back to, um, you know, from Russia with Love, you've got this very sinister controlling hand um, that sits behind and and brings menace, even though you can't see who the person is. And yet you've now got, yes, he's still kind of, to a certain extent, an invisible hand because of he's manipulating things from the penthouse. But you have gone from this very terrifying head of a, an organization who will um quite happily uh, assassinate somebody for getting their accounts wrong through to to <laughs> charles gray who is playing it a little bit more comedic and i i think you're absolutely spot on there if you take blofeld out of the equation and just call him a different name the film works a lot better within bond as a whole as a film in itself, actually, it's there's not a kind of inconsistency with the villainry. It's just a, a, an inconsistency with what's come before. And I think that's really hard. Even if you try to separate them, you're always going to come back to the fact that this is a character who has suddenly done a complete 360 and is in a totally different place to where he's been through the rest of the film. Whereas, again, you know, if, if you got him with the right, name and the right script and you built him up into a certain way i think you could you could have had a lot of fun with with blofeld and i think it would have or not blofeld and i think it would have probably enhanced the film a bit more because the the one thing with charles gray's portrayal of blofeld is you never quite feel that menace or danger that you have when you've got Telly Savalas or Donald Pleasance on screen. And yet it's perfectly fine to have villains who don't necessarily have that physical prowess or menace or level of danger. There's plenty of them in there throughout the whole of Bond that work relatively well. So it's, again, it's one of those, I guess, kind of choices that is not always the best done within the film. And, I, I think where I'd come to almost in in my summing up of it, Graham, is that I don't dislike Diamonds Are Forever. There is actually a fair bit to like, but you feel that somewhere buried in here is actually a genuinely good film if they could have just put the pieces together and made a few different decisions. Obviously, the good film is not Die Another Day, which was based on it, but Somewhere in here, you feel that, that you could have potentially had an absolutely cracking entry into Bond. Yeah, uh, that, I think that's what everyone looks for. I think that's what everyone looks back at when everyone, when anyone says, "Oh no, Diamonds Are Forever is terrible," and that include includes me. 
I, I think that immediately will 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 spark some people to think, well, actually, no, there are some bits in this that I really enjoy. And there are bits in there that if you on closer inspection, you can even enjoy even more, which is which is not what you can say about a lot of Bond films. Um, but there are things in here that are just that will that can just check you out so many times. There's so many things in here that gives you the opportunity to check out of a film. And I think that's what 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 the problem is. If if you if you if if you choose something in this film that you think no I love it because of this then those things that come along to 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 check you out you you can you can uh you can ignore. Well Gary let, let me ask you what's your opinion on on Jimmy Dean's uh uh role as as Willard White? Have, have, what what do you think that brings to the to the film? This is again this is where you kind of go for potentially could have done better. I I kind of quite like his performance in some regards, but then also he doesn't really ring true as as a kind of Howard Hughes style recluse. He suddenly goes from nobody knowing him to to suddenly sitting on a helicopter willing Bond to get out of there. And he suddenly becomes a, a kind of a very active ally. And I yeah, it, it's odd because I actually think his performance, like he brings a, a bit to the screen, and I do like that little scene which we've we've referenced a few times of Baha. I don't have anything in Baha where oh, just oh. him and Connery are talking it through, and that's there's a nice kind of moment in there, and it's it's a character that's both underplayed and overplayed, and I think kind of sits within that that area of what he's been built up to is not what ends up on screen, but what he ends up portraying on screen is possibly entirely consistent with the film. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's overplayed and underplayed. It's like they've cast this like on a drunken evening on Amazon, isn't it? It's... it's... (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy Dean is, is great. But he's he's an entertainer. He's not an actor, and and he comes on and and he 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 does. He, he, it's a shtick. It's a it's a Vegas show that he does, and uh, and and he, yeah. I I wonder how easy it was for for the other actors to work with him because this is a guy who's acting really is just from like variety shows. He had his own show in the sixties. Uh, he gave he gave Jim Henson his break. Um, uh, the, the, Jim, Jimmy Dean, uh, he uh, passed away a, a multi-millionaire from uh, from his sausage empire. He owned Sarah Lee Gatto's at, at one stage as well, and and could have been even richer because Jim Henson offered him forty percent of the Muppets, uh, and he turned it down and said, "I didn't do any work for that. I just gave you a break." So like that's you you did all the work there. Um, so a great a great character, but uh, you know. I, I don't know what he brings to the film. I, 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 it's difficult for us to look back with contemporary eyes, and it's something that, that Bond never normally does. Uh, but the whole thing of Howard Hughes dates it, puts it in a very specific place. It puts it right at the beginning of the 70s when he was a recluse and everything like that. But And, of course, they, they weren't going to go into parodying um, Howard Hughes because Howard Hughes was... A, one a mate of broccoli's and two he he basically made the whole of the vegas bit possible and provided jimmy dean as well I, i'm not sure 
Tom Mankiewicz looked at the way Willard, uh, Jimmy Dean played Willard White and thought, uh, yeah, that's not what I wrote at all. <laughs> I didn't mean, but uh, okay, uh, they, they, Guy Hamilton seems, seems happy with it. So I've got, I've got my money. I've got my money. I've I've been booked on for the next film as well. Fine, okay, I'll, I'll go with it. Um, yeah, Terry, what do you think about Willard White or Jimmy Dean's portrayal in it? I enjoyed Willard White, uh, and I enjoyed it even more so when I when I, when, I, when I saw it again. I mean, he's it, he's got he, I agree he's got a very very steep character arc uh, because yeah. He does. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I mean, he's obviously because he's been in. I mean, having been a recluse and then having then been incarcerated, then uh, you could understand why he might then suddenly become very very active and. And 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 being around that, I like this. I love the scene that he does with Shane Rimmer. It's great to see Shane Rimmer in, uh, in, yeah, in of course, in this movie as well. Um, and I and and I just love. I love the Baha. I think it's just a great. Look. I ain't got anything in Baha. Um, and uh, I just love the fact that he knows what, what stuff he, he he does and doesn't have, even though he's been incarcerated for so many years. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I I don't I don't have strong feelings about Jimmy Dean because he's not in it enough really for it to affect. And by this point, the movie is kind of like going <laughs> well. We're just like you know we need to get to the end of this movie because we're kind of running out of steam. So it doesn't really matter. He makes some things happen. Um, he's there to move the he's moved to move whatever there is left of the plot forward. And I, and I think it's worked for, and he's a charismatic guy, and it's and it's and it's absolutely fine. Jimmy Dean's fine. Mm. It's. Well, I think we've we've come to a point of. Um, I think it's fair to say, Terry and Graham, have your opinions changed of Diamonds Are Forever now that we've actually had to look into it more than the film possibly deserves? I I think I've forgiven it for quite a lot. But there's also a lot when I, I now feel more comfortable now when people come defending it. I I now fully armed with lots of things to undermine them. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, how has how has your um, opinion changed since you're a teenage boy of uh, Diamonds Are Forever? Well, yeah, but like I said, I mean, it, it it's it's got some. As I said, it's got some wonderful comedy moments in it, and it's got it's got some enjoyable moments. It, this is a in the way that 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 you only live twice sort of like set uh, the tone for Spy Who Loved Me and for Moonraker in terms of its sort of scale. The, the James Bond in Diamonds Are Forever is what we're about to see Roger Moore's James Bond to be. More humorous, more wisecracking, more light of touch, um, and something of a departure from from previous James Bonds. And and I like that. I like that kind of like Sean Connery channeling a little bit of Roger Moore in in this movie. And I thoroughly enjoyed that part of, of it. And and for me, what I took away hugely was the comedy and 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 the character moments. Um, Graham and I are quite big Star Trek fans. Um, and um, the movie Star Trek V, I think, plays a, has a similar place in the heart of Star Trek fans as Diamonds Are Forever does in that it is a, an objectively bad film. But it has some really incredibly memorable character moments in it, which people treasure and yes, and, and do defend. 
Uh, and 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 that's that's I'm quite happy to sort of like let it sit there like that. And actually, it's not as bad as Star Trek Five, which is actually really <laughs> bad. The movie is quite watchable. I get genuinely angry at the at, at the end of the movie with. I, I mean, I think the last ten minutes of the movie, I think we could just live without. I think it's a. Uh, I mean, we've talked about the manner with which Wit and Kid are, are done, but we're, uh, not wishing to lower or or bring a bring a downer on the conversation. But but Blofeld's death is unsatisfactory, um, even in the context of, especially in the context of the fact that this man is the man that killed his wife. But if you then again remove yourself from that and see him as more of a Stromberg or a Drax and not Blofeld, it's still a rubbish way to do away with your villain. Um, and I think it just sums up the genuine disappointment, the lack of coordination. That's not a well-coordinated battle sequence. Unsurprisingly, it's filmed on location on a bloody oil an oil rig. I mean, it's not it's not a great set, <laughs> frankly, um, and it's and it's disappointing. But my view on this movie is not. I've not done a 360 on it at all. Not a 360. Not a 180 on this movie at all. Uh, but uh, but uh, I am far I'm far better disposed to it now having gone through this process than I was and I, and, I, and I'm I'm much happier and I I do genuinely feel as if I can welcome back a James Bond film that I'd frozen out for for literally decades I'd frozen this movie out and it was really nice to sit there and watch it and just really enjoy this movie without without worrying too much about all of the other stuff and i'm grateful for that and and look forward to watching it again in the relatively near future yeah i think i i i've never entirely probably disliked it quite as much as i think think you you both ended up with and but i knew objectively it wasn't a good film i think where i'd uh i'd now come down on my uh my thoughts of diamonds of forever is that I might not actively seek it out as a Bond film to watch, but I would be perfectly happy if it came on ITV4. And it will. Channel flipping. There's a statistical oh, yes. possibility that it's on ITV4 right now. <laughs> yes, Schrodinger's Mankiewicz, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> it may or may not at any given point in time that somebody listens to this be on ITV4. And if you, if you investigate it too much, the whole whole theory collapses and everything else in there so yes listeners if you're um in the uk at the moment switch to itv4 and see if diamonds of forever is on there <laughs> and uh, you've probably got a very good chance of watching it um i think that remains for me to to wrap up there um it's probably been a lot more of an enjoyable pod and discussion than i think all three of us came into this well or when we first realized we had to do diamonds of forever i think uh, there's a lot to enjoy about it and uh, with all of bond uh, potentially turn off some of your critical faculties dial up the comedy and you'll probably have a relatively good time um that concludes our connery uh, section of the bonds um the Odd Job Pod will be back with other hot takes, discussions, and uh, we'll let you know how we get on with ITV4. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Uh, do you know what we didn't <sighs> mention? Klaus Hergesheimer. Klaus <laughs> Hergesheimer. <laughs> Not one mention. Mensch.
Well, I, mean, I must admit, we got we got we got completely carried away with that. There was so much. Yeah, yeah. There. I could have gone uh, on. But, I could have gone on for another. I could have gone on. Yeah, yeah. No, was, there was so much there, but yeah. but no, I think I think I think we, we we got that right. We're an hour and a half in, uh, mm. so yeah. it, it does not need to be more than this. But it's um, it, it's not. This isn't like our Thunderball one, where where where, where Thunderball stands. It put Thunderball stands back up. I think. I think, I'd bind you, I think if you're a Dimes Off Forever stand, you've, you've really got to have a thick skin, haven't you? I mean, you can't, you, you can't be a thin you've skin. You've got to probably dog. have a long, hard look at yourself. <laughs> yeah. You've got to be a rhinoceros of a fan, haven't you, really? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it much more than I came into expecting. And yeah, uh, my overall feeling was about half two-thirds of the way and I just went oh I'm out now I remember why this probably isn't a good film but up until that point I was I was perfectly on board with it oh, uh, but I think that's it that, I think that's why it's perfect ITV4 fodder because it's the sort of thing <laughs> that you can join a quarter of an hour in watch about a good three quarters of an hour of and basically up to the point where plenty throw, thrown out the window yeah and I think then you can switch over. I think that's, go, yeah. that's the moment in the movie, isn't it? Yeah, because that's a classic plenty, moment. We didn't it's mention like, plenty at all. We didn't mention plenty at all, which is a sadness. Yeah. Uh, but yes. um, that's, that's a great line as well, isn't it? Oh, and it's a great shot, line. Man. Yeah, I didn't realise there was a pool there. Oh, and of course, oh, he man. gets shot in, uh, in, in the opening reel of, um, of uh, Man with the Golden Gun, doesn't Yeah, it? same guy, isn't it? Yeah. Same guy. And he's in Star Trek as well. He's in a couple of episodes. Uh, I wonder if it's the same uh, character. Well, I think I think Fallon the dictates. First. I think Fallon dictates that that it is the same. He's the, the same, same guy, same and he gets his yeah. he gets because he, he and he gets his he gets his comeuppance in yeah. in 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 Man with a Golden Gun a couple of films later. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. I'm very comfortable yeah. with that. Oh no no no, that's that 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 is up a lot of fan street. I'm sure that is. I think for me, when I when I looked at it through the prism of like as much looking at this as like a proto Roger Moore movie, oh Bond totally, film, I yeah. just thought this is much this yeah I can I can totally manage this, and it yeah, makes so, a lot of sense yeah, and I rejoice in the fact that I was able to see Connery play Bond in that kind of way yeah because you certainly would never see Roger Moore playing Bond in the, you know as in as a more downbeat more serious more brutal kind of like Connery way. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting when, when people say, you know, that, uh, oh, you know, Moore made it more camp. Moore, Moore didn't make it camp. No. <laughs> Connery laid all the groundwork here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's, it, it's, 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 it's all, it's all there. I mean, apparently the pink tie was like a massive deal for a lot of people that, that really? I mean it's I mean it's 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 so it's, 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 it's surprising to me yeah for those you know particularly in the in the LGBT community who do celebrate this movie um, for these little smaller things the camp elements of the of, of the movie and it's seen as being something of a, of a breakthrough and that's that surprised me what you know when I found out about that and um, and again, yeah, I allowed myself to to enjoy that, to enjoy that, um, and yeah, I mean, of course, it's. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't forgive the film its its flaws, but you know, again, like I said just now, I mean, the the fact that you know, I can welcome 
button to move it back into my sort of like you know rotation of you know regular bond yeah. but is 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 very welcome because there's only a limited number of them and uh, and I've seen most of them many many times so <laughs> um, I don't think I'll have similar experiences for other crap bond films sadly no. I mean I think no. when we get to do ever if we ever decide to have a conversation about die another day I think that film is still going to be garbage um with very few redeeming characteristics but anyway maybe we'll maybe we will maybe we won't I don't know but um um yeah yeah that was so what did we where did we what did we say we were going to do because I think we actually did say that we were probably going to just like kind of keep going or did we say we would take a break and do a special a world cup we were going to do a world cup weren't we yeah I um, thought it was depending teams. on whether oh yeah oh yes maybe it was the uh, theme tunes um, but uh, didn't we say uh, weren't we hoping to see uh, No Time to Die um Yes. But I think we might get another one in before No Time to Die. Because that's September, isn't it? Why don't we... Um, I think... I think, And it also, we had talked about actually then going back and doing all of Secret Service because... Yeah.